Gonna say good evening, New York sports fans, but the clock is ticked to just after midnight here on the fans. So good morning to those of you tuned in right now after the Nets' thrilling win over the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks. I'm Daniel McCartan. McCartan at midnight here on the fan. We'll talk, be talking all things New York sports with you right up till 2 a.m. This short show on this late Saturday night, or is it an early Sunday morning? Well, I guess it just depends on your perspective and whatever you're doing. I appreciate you tuning into my show right now and throughout the, over the next two hours, I guess. We're here in the Big Apple. Nick Theodoru and I are coming to you live from the Boomer and Geo studio here in lower Manhattan. You know the number. It's already pre-programmed into your phones. 877-337-6666. As always, let's load them up with your best well-thought-out takes, please and thank you. But really quickly, as I come on the air this week, it's got a little bit of a different undertone, and you know this is not a political show at all whatsoever, but as I was preparing my show all day today, um, I I always keep a close eye on trending topics on Twitter, especially the day of a show. And believe it or not, Brett Gardner's name is trending today. Oh my God. But anyway, you know, never, never in a million years did I think that In refreshing my feed for baseball lockout updates and other stuff relevant to the show, that I would see an international war playing out in real time. So just a little real-world context as we set to argue about sports over the next two hours. Just my thoughts and prayers go out to everyone affected by this tragedy, both abroad and right here in the United States of America. And so with that, the, the, the Brooklyn Nets... My, oh my. You know, I'll get to the game in a second, but you Nets fans still have not yet seen the debut of your most prized trade possession. Of course, that's Ben Simmons. And guess what? There isn't actually a date set for it either. He's experienced some back soreness in his reconditioning process. (laughs) Me too. I I shoveled the other day. Me too. And, And apparently, it requires... This is a quote, further strengthening uh, of the area over a period of time, end quote. You know what? I'll tell you what. The Nets played the 76ers on national television on March 10th. Ben Simmons will be playing in the next game after that, Sunday, March 13th, against the Knicks. Where do I place a bet on that? Nets fans, you have no right to be surprised. Most of you, this is the move you wanted the team to make. Whereas I said to stand pat with Harden and do everything in the power to convince him to stay. Tell him, hey, you know, New York City might be dropping the mask mandates real soon. And and maybe Kyrie's going to be able to play full time again. And hey, Durant, he's uh, he's about to come back. And maybe that would have been enough to, to convince James Harden to stay. Because again... He did not want to be a number one. That was clear from the beginning. And he was thrust into that role, unfortunately, and that's what kind of chased him away. So, Nets fans, you can't complain about Simmons if you wanted Harden gone. You knew what you were getting. So I guess it is better to deal with the devil that you know versus the the one that you don't yet know. As far as the game, the Nets and Steve Nash threw out the 34th different starting lineup combination, which is the most in the NBA as of tonight. And and the Nets beat the defending champ Bucks, but 
you know, Antetokounmpo and the Bucks did have a really good look at a game-tying three. And, well, that's basketball, Susan. It just didn't go in. You know, the Nets' third-quarter shooting was kind of the key, the the turning point of the game, if you will. Because the three-point shooting in the first half was not great. But the third quarter, I mean, it was almost perfect. I was on the West Side Highway, and it was they were 7-for-7 seven seven in the third quarter from behind the arc. And Kyrie Irving, of course, led the way for the Nets with a season-high 38 points, although it was not a game-high. Drew Holiday had a game-high 39. But, listen, the Nets did not win this game without Andre Drummond with his 12 rebounds, his 5 assists, and that big block on Giannis late in the game. And, you know, as you heard before, and I love looking at plus-minus of a basketball player on the court, and I guess I started really, really keying in on that when I started playing NBA The Show. And and, and my guy, he was always negative, negative, negative. All of a sudden he was positive, and the team started winning. And you know what? Andre Drummond was a plus-20 in this game. The highest Nets total tonight. And so the Nets, here's the other thing, points off turnovers. The Nets had 27 of them. That was a total capitalization of that. The Bucks had 15 turnovers, seven of which were the Nets' steals. So great win for the Nets. It's something that Nets fans could be happy about. The Bucks are, are, are ahead of them in the standings, we shall say, in the Nets' Uh, are making a little bit of a comeback. And, and they've got two more games now against another team that is ahead of them in the standings, and that being the Toronto Raptors. Kyrie Irving cannot play in, in either of those two games. One's in Brooklyn, one's in Toronto, both for the same reason. And per Alex Schiffer, he said, Steve is on Twitter, Steve Nash said it, quote, it's likely Kevin Durant doesn't, as in does not, play in either game against Toronto. That is a little bit concerning if you're a Net fan moving forward. So if you're tuned into my social media channels and or, you know, and I guess that's the only place you would find them, but uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you might have seen that I was on duty in sunny, warm Florida over the past couple days moderating the meetings between the owners and the Players Association. Not, yeah, I wish. Are you kidding me? If I was in charge of those meetings, I would lock the doors and send food and water through doggy doors until they figured it out. I mean, only half kidding there, really. So here's the song again. Here we go again. Go ahead, cue up the Bruno Mars. Yeah, you make me feel like Thanks. Yeah, late today, the players' union threatened to walk away from the negotiating table. And when things got, when the things are bad, they just got worse. The union felt that it made a substantive, substantive offer. Offer uh, that was a quote from one of the reporters. I can't say that word, but but a good offer. They thought they made a great offer today, Saturday, and then the owners rejected it. And the players, according to Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post, said. The players are furious. And and some players, I read on somewhere else, that some players are even wondering if they should start booking flights back home at this point. 
And, you know, I, I've been reading about this lockout as much as humanly possible to stay on top of it as, as much as I possibly could for you, the listener, because you deserve it. And, and based on what I've consumed, I know at this point which reporters slant towards the player side. I know at this point which reporters slant towards the owner's side. And here I am trying to piece it all together. I read something the other day that Ken Rosenthal wrote in The Athletic. Here's the quote, which it's pretty poignant. He said, ah, but back to the deal. This incredibly complex document that the framers evidently view as more important than the U.S. Constitution, which, ahem, took a mere four months to complete. That's an end quote from Ken Rosenthal. Well, here we are on day 87 of the great baseball lockout of 2022. Honestly, the details are nearly impossible for an outsider to kind of just piece together and offer solutions to at this point. I mean, each side is letting out dribs and drabs of information. Reporters are putting out tweet threads, then issuing quote tweets of those threads, correcting the mistakes in the original tweets. You know, it's just all too much, really. And, and even me, one of the most interesting parties in this entire saga, right from the jump. Well, even I become a little bit disillusioned by this whole thing. You know, I, I have no idea what to believe, which numbers to believe, knowing that while the numbers may appear to be closer, a backdoor proposal might also be in the works, as we saw with the Players Union trying that last week, and with the owners trying it last night into this morning. We'll get to that in a second. And through all this nonsense on Friday, just yesterday, I had a modicum of hope when I saw that the two heads of state, so to speak, were on site and were meeting one-on-one with each other and with the negotiation parties. I saw what I thought was great news. Commissioner Rob Manfred was on site Friday at Roger Dean Stadium, along with executive director of the MLBPA, Tony Clark. And I thought, wow, they're going to get something done. And, you know, actually, it was Rob Manfred's idea to do it, and it surprised the players. And so Manfred Clark, their one-on-one lasted about 25 minutes. And this, I thought to myself, had to be the equivalent of a mom and a dad stepping in to get involved in a fight between siblings. It had to be. Surely the involvement of these two guys, these two parents, will end the standoff. So I thought. And progress, as of Friday, was made in terms of the tanking issue. So the owners, Friday, proposed what they believed to be the most aggressive draft lottery in any sport, which would put the top four picks in play for all non-playoff teams. And it would also restrict the number of consecutive times a a team could land one of those, those, those coveted pieces. Sounds reasonable to me, especially for a group of people in a league that didn't even have a draft lottery. And then the players countered in what was the first time yesterday a swap of ideas happened on the same topic in a single day. So I guess they finally took a page out of my four-pillar plan last week after all. But I didn't see, and I don't even know if their counterproposal was actually out there, the players, that is. But... We all know that the players wanted to put this top seven picks in play, not the top four. However, 
Still, last night, optimism emerged from the union that common ground was actually in sight. It was in reach. And that was until, of course, this morning. <laughs> the, the owners, see, this is what I'm talking about, backdooring things. The, the owners are now trying to tie something to that draft proposal, which doesn't make any sense to me. I guess they felt that they were getting close to, you know, a handshake deal on, on that issue. One of many, as you know, if you're a fan of the show, felt that maybe the owners were getting close and they were like, hey, okay, great. We're close. Now, let's try to attach something else and push it through, which is very political, huh? Don't don't politic, politicians do that? Anyway, uh, the owners wanted a 14-team playoff and the the players wanted a 12-team playoff. Hmm. Well, hmm. the players wanted a lottery, and the owners accepted it. So why can't the players just accept a 14-team playoff if it means they're going to get their lottery system? Something that has never been instituted ever before in the game of baseball. I mean, there's got to be more money in it for the players in the, in the expanded postseason. Like, no? I mean, this is, what, this is how you negotiate. You, you meet on a middle ground. And there are definitely more details tied to this one particular line item because it involves non-revenue-sharing teams, revenue-sharing teams, competitive balance picks based off team records. And like I said before, it's a lot to wrap my head around without being in, in that room myself. And then B, today, the other major thing is that the players offered to amend their who's arbitration eligible. So this morning, they came down from 75% of the players with two years of service qualifying for arbitration down to 35. Right now, 22% of the players get it. But from the start, the owners have treated increasing what's called super twos from 22% and any changes to revenue sharing as absolute non-starters. The owners want nothing to do with changing those percentages at all. Forget the 75, forget the, the 35% that the players uh, did today, proposed today. They, they want to keep it at 22%. So I guess forget that. And two short little line items from today. C, MLB offered to top, uh, that the uh, top, I think it was two finishers in the rookie of the year voting will get a full season of service time, no matter what. And... D, listen, as far as that competitive balance tax, the, the luxury tax threshold, all that, they are so far apart on dollar amounts that, you know what, it's not even worth discussing it right now. And that is the detailed, nitty-gritty version of all the significant movement that has really happened over the past, I don't know, 24 to 36 hours. And for those of you who just like the overview version of this, it was one step forward. Five steps backwards. That's what's going on down in Jupiter, Florida. And as for us, the fans, I think the worst thing is for all of us to start picking sides. These polls that I'm seeing online, who's more right? The players or the owners? Like, how stupid are those? It's an overly simplistic way to look at this in any collective collective bargaining agreement. There are multiple pieces to both sides' ideas to like. There are multiple pieces to both sides' ideas not to like. 
And if there was any one right or correct side, we wouldn't be in this position to begin with. So just stop it with these dumb polls. And I love doing polls. Just not this one. Stupid. Because none of us are in the room with these guys. None of us know all of the details. None of us know the bargaining tactics of either or both sides. It's like we don't have any control over what these two sides are doing. So getting into arguments over which side is more right, it's just a futile argument. that It just divides the entire fan base of an entire sport. And it just it creates unnecessary animosity among seemingly the only group of people that seems to really actually care for the future of the sport, and that being the fans. The players, probably begrudgingly, have agreed to return to the table tomorrow at 1 p.m. When this weekend is all said and done, we'll be back with you, uh, I'll be back with you from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. tomorrow night, but if a basic agreement can miraculously be agreed upon by Monday, then the first spring training contest would occur on March 8th. Yeah, all right. Based on just what we what we just talked about, I'm not hopeful. Yeah, the, the Rangers and the Penguins faced off in what could very well be a first round of the playoff series preview. And, and the Rangers got so close. For the viewer, what a treat that would be. Today, they brought a nationally televised 0-0 game into the start of the third period. And I'll tell you, a scoreless game has never been so exciting. I mean, just the chippiness between the two teams was definitely present, definitely fun to watch. But ultimately, it's it's what actually what, what ended up hurting the Rangers. Because, you know, between periods, the Penguins talked about the need to create more traffic in the net in front of Shesterkin in order to knock the puck past him. And, and in actuality, that's not how it happened. In the third period, Ryan Lindgren was charged with a hooking penalty, which led to a, a Malkin PowerPoint, power play goal with about 14.40 left in the game. That made nine straight games in which the Penguins scored a goal on a power play. And the Rangers, though, not short, not long after that, they, they had a golden opportunity, a few of them actually, when Marcus Peterson was charged with a cross-checking penalty, which set off a huge scrum, by the way. The Rangers entered, I guess now yesterday's game, having the fourth best power play percentage in the league. And there were some great successive shots on goal at that time, the third period, but ultimately none of them found the back of the net. And as the, the Rangers pulled Shesterkin, Rangers fans clung to hope. I mean, after all, the Rangers have 17 comeback wins this season, which is tied for the most in the NHL. Mika Zibanejad had such a good look with a backhand with about 45 seconds to go, but there was no rebound after that initial shot. And the Pittsburgh defense did a pretty good job of kind of clearing that out there. And then Gallant called the timeout with 25.4 seconds remaining exactly. Oh, man, and then Zibanejad had another chance. He was back with another one-timer with eight seconds to go. That Jari just redirected with wide left with his elbow, and that was it. And Ranger fans, you know what? I'm going to take the L on this one because about midway through the second period, I, I tweeted, quote, totally aware that this might not age well, but at the moment, Shesterkin is money today. Well, 
not long after that tweet, in in game time, not in real time, but in game time, the Penguins netted their first and the only goal of the game for both teams. So really, though, you, you can't win games if you don't score the puck. I mean, I don't think that there's been, in the history of sports, any team in any sport that has ever won a game with a final score of zero. Which is surprising because the Rangers entering today's game averaged 2.9 goals a game. I round that up to three in my book. Today they scored zero. And today, fans witness just the fourth 1-0 victory for the Penguins over the Rangers in their histories, which is kind of crazy. And it has not happened since 2007. And also with Tristan Jari's fourth shutout of the season, the Pittsburgh P- Penguins leapfrogged the New York Rangers in the Metropolitan Division standings. They are now sitting at number two, and the Rangers are at three. So let's get it going. I have set the table for you. I can't wait to talk with you on this short show, Saturday night slash Sunday morning, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan after midnight here on The Fan in New York City. Welcome back to McCartan after midnight here on The Fan in New York City. You know, I, I mentioned just briefly that I went to Florida this past week to visit my cousins. And, you know, Thursday morning. We took a drive by Ed Smith Stadium, which is not all too far away from my cousin's house. But this is the stadium which is supposed to be the spring training home of the Baltimore Orioles. You know, where this past week there is supposed to be the sound of thudding mitts and cracking wooden bats. But nope. There was just a silence at the park. Not a single person on the property or near the property, except for me and my cousin. So, just for good measure, you know, we parked. I pulled on the gate. You know, just the curious journalist in me. And, yep, it was locked. As expected. Here we are, hours before an MLB self-imposed deadline, wondering if we're going to lose any regular season baseball games. In for many of the reasons that I outlined in my open... It's not looking great. Does anybody have a magic eight ball they can shake? Because I don't. But I, I think it's going to say it's not looking great. And I guess my question to you baseball fans here in New York City, in the greater New York City area and beyond is, what emotions do you feel at this very moment? Listening to my open, l- reading the tweets and, and all of that. Is it is it sadness? Is it anger? How about apathy? Or is it more of an empathy? I think for me, it's it's a bunch of, it's a mix of all of them. Not knowing where exactly to put the blame. Blaming both sides, really, when it comes down to it. Like, why didn't this get started sooner? Why is everybody being so stubborn? It's just, it's a mix of things. So, So, baseball fans, let's weigh in. What emotion are you feeling at this very moment in time where it looks it looks uh it looks not great for opening day to be as planned on March 31st, 2022. It's going to be a call 877-337-6666. Nick Theodoro's here and he's answering. He's taking the call. So let's go to Jimmy in Jersey City. You're going to lead us off for tonight. Go ahead. 
Hey, Danielle, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I just wanted to first clear things up with you on the Drew Holiday comment you made a little earlier. What's that? Uh, you only had 19 points there. Oh, what? I looked, uh, let me look. I, I, I looked that up on the NBA team. Hold on. Let's see. Oh, of course, I got to scroll backwards. Here it is, at game day. Where was this? Kyrie Irving, Drew Holiday. Uh, no, 19. Oh, you know what I was looking at? I was looking at his plus minus. I'm sorry. You are right. Drew Holiday, 19 points. All right. You got it. Clear, you, know, so you didn't take the rest of the night. You uh, got it. You got it. Thank you. Um, well, I am a Nets fan. But uh, how, before I get to baseball, how much do you love that Nets? How deep the Nets bench is going to be, Danielle? Well, we got to get there first, right? Because Durant it looks like he's not going to be playing in those those two next two Raptors games. I mean, and, and Irving won't be there either. So it kind of annoying with KD he's not playing those games. He's, he's missed a lot of games and doing his little three year brief stint with us. Uh huh. Annoying. You know, I I saw earlier today. I don't know where I saw it, but someone someone somewhere you know, reputable, said that they were going to leave it up to Durant on whether or not he wanted to play in the upcoming games. And I guess he decided uh, he doesn't want to play. I, I guess they figured they got enough depth that they should be able to hang in, the, in both of those games. As far as the baseball thing, I'm on the owner's side. I'm just tired of all these. In every sport, Danielle, they're all overpaid athletes, very much overpaid. You have $300 million baseball players. That's that's ludicrous. That's, that's crazy. Like, you're pitching X amount of games a year and you're making that kind of money. Uh, the bench players, the guys with the role to sit on the bench, what's that salary? Minimum what, 500, 600,000? Well, yeah, 570. Imagine Daniel, someone came to you, hey, Daniel, we're going to give you 500,000 a year to sit behind. If Sal or Keith or somebody gets sick, then you fill in. You, you're going to earn that. You're going to get your 600,000 regardless. That's crazy. It's crazy money, and I believe the owners should have their way, and the baseball players need to step up. I mean, I don't. They don't run my life. I don't care what happens during the summer. They don't play. They play. They got enough things to keep me busy. Other things, but uh, I've been a baseball fan for forty something years. Yankee fan that is. Been to Yankee games since nineteen seventy seven. And mom used to take my five siblings and I. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just sad how how it's turned. How how American sport has turned to be an, an ugly American sport. You know, Jimmy, I, imagine taking five kids to a baseball. Well, five. Uh, imagine you that. can't. You can't. And we and my mother lugged us all the way from Jersey City, so it meant trainings and all that we had to take. Yeah. Imagine a woman taking five of her kids that way. Yeah. Well, that's sad today. It said, like you said, that we pay both of their salaries, both of those owners and the players between the T V rights and all that and the hot dogs, the beers, everything and all that, everything. Yep. We the fans. So so sometimes the fans need to make a stand too, just you know what? Need to take a Take, have, a, have a someone who runs each stadium to let one, one out of ten and plays games and the things get, but that'll never happen. It's like overpriced movie tickets and things like that. Right. Well, that's just my stand. Then I'll, I'll still be on the owner's side. I think the players are very much overpaid. I don't know what you think. So but, uh, I'm, I'm sensing a, a bunch of apathy there, Jimmy. Am I right? Yeah. No yeah. Bunch. Yeah, Jimmy. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, you know, it, it's a mix of everything. It's a mix of kind of sadness because. I was down. Finally, it worked out that I could be there for spring training down in Florida. And and guess what? There was literally nothing going on. So there's a little bit of sadness for missing out there. Um, I, you know, we we really we really wanted to go because I was on the West Coast. We really wanted to hit a few of them. Uh, my cousin lives near the Orioles, the, the Rays camp. He lives near, or they live near, uh, oh, what's the other one? The Braves. 
And, and we even actually went up to Tampa to a, to a lightning game. And I wanted to check out the Yankees because we're on the West Coast. So it's a little bit of sadness, really, that these, these two groups of people can't s- settle on a contract for just the next five years. Like, it's a, you have to, it's a contract negotiation. You have to give and take a little bit. And, and just when, when you felt like they were getting close to an agreement on, on just one thing, which was, which was the draft compensation for tanking, draft lottery, and introducing a draft lottery to the sport itself for the first time. You thought they were getting close. And then all of a sudden, they weren't. Because the owners tried to tack on and, and add on the, the playoff uh, scenario. They won a 14-team playoff. Players won 12. Is it really such a big difference? Really, though, in the, in the, in the next five years? Can't you agree on that? So this is a very dangerous concept where you're picking which side, which side you want. Because you know what? That divides us, the fans. And, and, and there is less power to, to us, the fans, and we are all divided. So I'm not doing this, which side are you on? Because nobody's in the room with these people. Nobody knows exactly what's going on. The details, the nitty-gritty. There are, for every statement that you read on Twitter, there are... Ten more details to go along with that statement that we just don't know because we're not in there with them. And we don't understand how, uh, you know, uh, piece A impacts piece D, which impacts then Z. You know what I'm saying? We can't connect those dots because we're not in the room. So picking this side or that side, you know, some, some sides, I agree with their stance on some things. Sometimes sides I agree in their stance and their thing. So it's just, it's just, let's just come together. Let's meet at the 50-yard line and let's call it a day, everybody, and let's get this season on the road. Kevin and Camden, you're up next on The Fan. What's up, Coach? How are you? I'm good, Kevin. I'm ready for You've been tweeting me. This is going to be vintage. Let's see. Yeah, no, because really, I was, with, this week was going by and there was nothing going on. My first thought was, Coach had a four-step plan. That was my first thought. Yeah. Coach, you had a four-step plan last week, a very detailed four-step plan, I might add, mm-hmm. and very well-detailed, by the way. Thank you. But it wasn't being thought. They did nothing, nothing that you said was even accomplished. I mean, not, not even close. What were they doing? I, I would love to know, be a, a fly on the wall. What were they doing for, for those meetings? What were they doing? Just wa- watching the best for, uh, Real, Real Housewives of New Jersey? <laughs> what the heck were they doing? Good show, by the way. I mean, it, it is a good show. I, I, I'm hooked on it. But, but what were they doing? I mean, look, they're supposed to be negotiating a contract. Yeah, in good faith. They're supposed, exactly. They're supposed to be. And you know what? This will be bad because you know what? They're going to lose a lot of fans. I'm still going to watch baseball regardless of what the hell happens. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be a lot of fans, the newer generation nowadays, they're going to be turned off by this because they, 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 the non-baseball fans see this and they, they see what's going on here. I mean, they're, they're, like, they're not even into baseball anyway, but this gives them even less reason to get into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are we doing here? Oh, there's so many other things to watch. You could put on your TV. You could watch on your phone. It, I, I mean, man fraud's plan, and he has to call him man fraud because he's not a bad mm. His plan was to get the younger generation involved. This is not the way to do it. Sorry. It's just not the way to do it. Yep. So I'm, this whole, they're acting like children. I, and, and, and the latest report.
it was it was hostile. I'm getting hostile right now because what the heck were they doing? I mean, really, I I could curse, but I'm not gonna do that on here. Yeah, I know you have a show, <laughs> but I'm I am at my wit's end. And you know what? They're meeting tomorrow at one o'clock. So they better they better get something going because yeah. I tell you right now this drags on way too long. This is just it's it's gonna be bad for the game, and it might not it might take a while to recover. If it drags on to this to the levels, I think it's going to drag on to. And, and so. you, yeah, Kevin, you make great points there, and, and thank you for that. And you think, you know, the players, they, was it a tactic where they were they threw their hands up and they said, you know what, you know, we're we're, we're we might walk away. Was that a tactic? Was that was that a scare tactic? You think, or, or were they really that pissed off that they were like, you know what, we're taking our ball and we're going home? To me. I actually think it was a scare tactic because if they take their ball and go home on their flights or in and around the, the country and the world, even then, then they don't get paid. They start missing paychecks. So I think they tr- the players today tried drawing a line in the sand, and I don't think it's going to be that all that effective, honestly, because the owners hold all the cards, they hold all the paychecks, they hold all the dollars. So by you saying. We're walking away. It doesn't look great, especially since the owners' side were the ones that requested the 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 mediator, the the, the mediator, <laughs> the mediator, the federal mediator or the arbitrator, whatever you want to call it. So, like a caller two weeks ago or last week said, a lawyer caller called in and said, "Hey, you know what? Instead, why don't you have why don't you have mediators come in and on on your four point plan?" Work on each of the mediators, plural, work on each of the issues. Now, I think that's a great idea. And hey, uh, also, at the Tampa Bay Lightning game, I ran into a major, I mean, A-list, prime-time NFL player, and it was completely and totally by accident. You want to know who it was? It's a good story. You're going to have to wait, though, after this quick message to find out which major A-list NFL player I ran into at, I think it was Tuesday night's Tampa Bay Lightning game. Hey, that's old school Bleak 182. I'm Danielle McCartan with you till two on this short show, Saturday night, Sunday morning. And, um, you know, I started thinking about how, to me, anyway, running into athletes at other games just, you know, just doesn't happen to me. So which athletes have you run into that were not at their own games? Because I know there's some great stories out there, and I want to hear them at 877-337-6666. And, of course, your MLB lockout uh, takes as well so far tonight. Those are the two main things on the table. And, yes, I, I went to the Tampa Bay Lightning-Edmonton Oilers game with my cousins, and uh, he lives by 10. He's been begging me to go with him for a game for years, and so I went. And on the video board, you know how they show the famous people in the attendance? Well, it's not quite celebrity row at the Garden, but Kevin Kiermeyer, center fielder for the Rays, was there. And then they showed a major NFL player on the board. And he was in a suite not far from where our seats were. And so you know, a little bit later on, I got up to go get myself another drink because they were about to shut it down for the night. So I, I watched as I'm kind of in in the corridor, which is not wide and it's not tall at the Emily Arena, 
I watched the door to Suite 15 swing wide open. This is the third period. They're about to cut, you know, drinks and beers off. So, you know, it's towards the end of the game, and the door swings wide open, and there he is walking out of it. And, I mean, talk about the intersection of, of, of great luck and perfect timing. You want to know who it was? Future NFL Hall of Famer. The most fun man in all of professional football. Standing six feet, six inches tall. I was looking right at Rob Gronkowski, and he was coming my way. So what do you do in that situation? I mean, I don't know what you're really supposed to do in it, but what I actually did was um, I pulled out my camera app real quick and uh, asked for a selfie. Total fan mode. It's a little blurry, but he was awesome. And so is the T-shirt that he was wearing. So I'll post that up in a second for you uh, to see at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Uh, for me, just the whole unexpectedness caught me all off guard. And I thought about it after he walked away that I should have asked him where he's playing and where Tom Brady's playing next season. But I just, I just didn't. It just caught me totally and completely off guard. And in that moment, too, I was kind of caught between being a fan and being a journalist. And I guess that night I just defaulted to fan. And, and I think that's all right. So I want, I want to hear your stories and your experience about running into an athlete who is a fan at another team's game. I'm not talking about as a member of the media, but I'm talking about as a fan. Because I go to a lot of games for a lot of sports and a lot of different places. And that was the first time that that's happened to me. So I'm wondering how common it really is. And yeah, it was. Uh, I ran into Rob Gronkowski at the Lightning game this week. Rob Gronkowski. Pretty cool. All right, let's go to uh, Terry in Aminia. You're up on the fan. Caro Imperatrice. Ah, ciao. Buona mattina. <laughs> Grazie. Uh, long time no talk. I know. Um, uh, four quick points after I make a basic one. And that is the total mistrust between the players on the one side and the owners on the other. Yeah. That's the largest roadblock. Yep. But, number one, nobody talks about the collateral damage. In a way, you were collateral damage when you went to Florida. Think of all the motel owners. Think of all the restaurant owners. Oh, Terry, all we talked about all this. We talked about all this last week. The people that live uh, paycheck to paycheck, making minimum wage, that work at those oh, yeah. stadiums, and they're not getting a paycheck. That's collateral damage. Uh, you know, the parking lot attendant, the person who, who flips your burgers at the concession stand, the cashier. We exactly. talked about all that last week. It's just ridiculous. I missed that, yeah. unfortunately. However, Plan B, and this works for you too, as it does for me. If we want to see a baseball game, we got a minor league team nearby. Oh yeah, Hudson Valley Renegades. Yep. What? Hudson Valley Dutchess Stadium. So, yeah, you know what, Terry? Hour, I'm actually getting, uh, trying to. Uh, I'm waiting for uh, Spike's go ahead here. Spike's green light, but I'm trying to get a group together to go to the Somerset Patriots opening weekend game. So, stay tuned right. for that. But I'm a great believer in minor league baseball. It's the baseball I remember from my childhood. And, you know, you can take a family. You don't have to mortgage the house. Exactly. To take the family. uh, My additional plan B, my bad, I have an archive of radio recordings of baseball games that I've recorded off the year Mm -hmm. for my delayed enjoyment this year anytime i want one just go and hit the play button there you go <laughs> just go and hit the play button 
and uh, enjoy baseball that way. Yeah, that works. The saddest aspect to me of all of this, Danielle, the saddest aspect is these people do not realize that their greed is killing the future of the game. When I was a kid, we could go to a baseball game almost any afternoon. Now, it is very difficult to do that, except occasionally on weekends. Yep. How are you going to get your kid interested? Yeah, you know what, Terry? Here's an idea. And a lot of people did this, and me included, during the uh, during the COVID pandemic. You know what a lot of people did? They turned to MLB The Show, the video game. That's how I got my baseball fix. And I, and I know I, I played against a bunch of listeners uh, while while it was going on, but that's how I got my baseball fix. That's how I got my basketball fix as well before they even started the bubble. These so, so lifelike video games, and then it turned into Madden. So while you're going to listen to the old, you know, older recordings, uh, you know, on your own to get your fix, I think I hope I would hope that the younger fan is interested enough to go pick up a copy of of. of I think the best, in my opinion, I guess I'm biased, but the best video sports video game out there, and will be the show. Um, but you know what are we gonna do? Here we are talking about getting our baseball fixes in different ways, going to minor league games, and and I, I was supposed to have gotten a package from the, the Brooklyn Cyclones. It's it's not here yet, but um, you know, things like that. Think getting getting your baseball fix in different ways. What are you gonna do for it? What are you gonna do about it? Let's go to, in the order that you called, Fabian in Brooklyn. You're up on the fan. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, Thanks you, for making you know, it. Thank you. Um, you. You know how most team seasons are already done before the All-Star game, and that affects attendance and even caring about the team at all? Mm-hmm. Well, what, what if they had mid-season tournaments, like college basketball has the Big East tournament or the mm-hmm. Big Ten? What if NBA or NHL or MLB had the same thing? Then yeah. teams wouldn't tank. I think and, and uh, they'd be in it to the end, and, and I think that'd be really cool. I think I saw something that the NBA might be really considering it. I, I believe the WNBA already does it. Um, how would it work for MLB? I don't know. How, how would it work for baseball? What, what are you thinking? Well, well, I, well, well, I'm thinking like maybe like the season schedule would only be fixed, like uh, set season schedule to mid-season, and then like, uh, and then the second half of the season will be scheduled on. The first half, meaning like the great, like there'd, there'd be a playoff, like the All Star break would, would be like a playoff, and then you'd have like a mid season champion, and then then finally at the end uh, a regular champion. Ah, Fabian, you ran out of ran out of steam there at the end. I don't think for baseball it would work. Uh, I really don't. I just you know preventing teams from tanking. Is kind of what's on the table. I mean, they haven't mentioned that in any of the proposals that I've seen. I don't because because I just don't think it would work in the sport of baseball. However, opening up a draft lottery at the at the end, where uh, you have constraints, where the same particular team, uh, I think they divided up by I think it was small market and large market teams have they can't be in the lottery x amount of times. Now I don't know what the details are if in fact they are in that lottery x amount of times due to maybe player injury or whatever. But um, it, a mid-season tournament wouldn't work in baseball, in my opinion. I don't think it would, because if it, if it did, and if it if it if it was going to, I think it would have been on the table. And it's it's just it's not. They're more focused on the lottery picks and and, and like a like a like an NBA sort of style thing for teams that are quote unquote tanking. And like you said, 
are are out pretty much by the All-Star game that you can find tickets for for $5 pretty much right after that game. And you know the teams that come to mind, the Pirates probably being being one of them. And unfortunately, I've been told that, you know, it's the, the best stadium in the league. Haven't been there yet. It's on the list, but you know what I mean. To the Bronx we go. Jose, you're up on the fan. Hi, Daniel. Hey, what's up? Buongiorno. Hi, buongiorno. Buona mattina. <laughs> Listen, talking about uh, your Italian background, uh, Lenny Randall, Lenny Cappuccino Randall, who has been so involved in Italian baseball, you guys should get a hold of him uh, when I have your production team. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know Lenny Randall, but he played with the Mets. And, and for and quite a while in the major leagues, and then he went to Italy and played uh, baseball in Italy for quite a while, and he stayed there. His nickname is Cappuccino, Lenny Cappuccino Randall. Very instructive and, and you know, and interesting in in Italian baseball. Mm. I'm part of an Italian American baseball organization. I'll have to forward that over to them. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, he no, it's very very uh, very interesting. Uh, he's been he's been there for a while, and what I want to say, Danielle, uh, I enjoy I enjoy your show, and, and I've been listening for a while. Thank it's you. The first time I've had a, a, an opportunity to call you, oh, but you. Uh, I I, uh, I agree with the previous calls. We, we, we'll go to the minor leagues. I, I've been in minor league. I actually was a, a Trenton Thunder uh, season ticket holder, but mm-hmm. the, Trent, the, the Yankees abandoned Trenton. I, I I was I used to go to Staten Island. The Yankees abandoned Staten Island also, but now it's Somerset. But we'll, we'll go to Brooklyn or or whatever. But uh, what I was, what I was going to say is, I can't really comprehend. Uh, you were saying the ideology, uh, the, the 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 logic of the players saying they don't want more playoff teams. Uh, they only want twelve. Yeah. First of all, we have to remember, Danielle. The, the major league players only get paid to September 30th. So in October, the money they get is from the playoffs. They, they don't get paid mm-hmm. for the postseason. Mm-hmm. The, they, they get paid based on the bonuses, whatever it happens there. Yeah. So the more teams in the playoffs, the more players are getting paid. That's what I was saying. The teams, yes, the teams that get eliminated in, at, at September 30th, those guys don't get any revenue. They don't get. They don't get. They don't get paid. And besides that, the more teams you have in the playoffs, the less teams you have tanking, or what they so-called tanking. Right. Because once you have teams, more teams that are in the contention, then you're going to have teams going for it. Right. So I, I, really I know. don't comprehend it. Jose, yeah. I know. I know. I really it's just, I don't get it either. Like, I'm trying to figure this out before, and I'm like, wait a second. Wouldn't they want more teams in the Why are they so set on 12? I don't get it. And what happens to the other guys? They don't get paid. It's not, I know. You know, you, you tell the guys to go home, you know, go wherever, you, and, and, and you, you don't get paid because the, the paychecks go from the beginning of the season, which is usually, let's say, April 1st, to. September 30th. Then after that, you don't get paid unless you can play. So I, I, I see no logic in, 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 in what the players are saying. And I go back to the 60s and I, you know, and I know when, when, when the owners really had to handle it. 
before free agency and and Kurt Flood and all that was just another story. But I think the players are really right now they're in the best position they've been at least in my lifetime. You know, going back, you know, they have the free yeah. agent. But I think they're trying very hard now. It was said that they lost the last two CBAs and they're trying to go overboard to win this. But I, uh, you know, to this last concert. But I think they're being very illogical. Like you said, uh, the owners hold all the cards. And, you know, if even if you, uh, a player like Setcher is making $42 million, even if he misses a month, <laughs> that would be what, like $10 million? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's hard to comprehend. But, Neil, I appreciate your showing. Uh, I know it's a short time uh, tonight, and I will keep listening, and I commend you on your work. Uh, thanks, Jose. I appreciate that there. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow, 5 p.m. to 8, to 8 p.m. But you're right. It, it's it's. You, but I, I feel like like pointing out like the Scherzers of the world and et cetera, right? And the Garrett Coles of the world. I feel like pointing out those players is almost like pointing out the one percenters. Those are like the one percenters where, yeah, those guys got exorbitant amounts of money for sure. And I was, we were listening to Tampa Sports Radio in the car and they said that they did the math. I did not, but it was something like Max Scherzer gets like some multi thousand dollars per pitch. I'm not sure if it was $15,000 a pitch based on like 300 or 30 starts, they said, or was it 1500 a pitch? 1500 or 15,000. I know it's a big difference, but I can't remember what it was. But either way, they did the math and still, 1500 even if it's $1500 per pitch, sign where do I sign? You know, but but that is let's be careful because that that's the one percenter. Those are the one percenters and you don't want to judge the majority on that 1%. But the fact of the matter still is that that, that it does exist. Those guys are making that cash and it does exist. Whereas you know the the uh, minimum player salary was five hundred and seventy thousand dollars. That's that's kind of like still a lot to me. We were talking about my cousin and I. We were kind of talking in the car. We were like, if someone told you that they were going to pay you five hundred and seventy thousand dollars to play baseball, would you do it? I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, me too. And he had the opportunity to. He just he didn't he didn't uh, follow through with it. The tryout got rained out, and he told me he never went back for the to makeup tryout with, I think it was the Orioles, I think. As a, he was a pitcher. Uh, but anyway, um, I, I just in, – in, let's, 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 back, let's backtrack here and put this in the grand perspective of will the season start on time? Will the regular season start on time? I'm going to go with no. And there's a renewed – Focus on on the minor leagues, which is good because they needed. They were without an entire season. They didn't get to play during COVID. They were set back an entire year. Those minor leaguers that were not on, you know, the taxi squad or that squad or the forty man. So you know what? Maybe we start putting our money there. And the plan I have, I think it's like thirty five dollars. All you can eat, all you can drink, soft drinks, and I guess water. Old patio party section, and all I'm waiting for is the green light. So we'll see. We got Mike McCann with an update coming your way. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight here on the fan in New York City. We are already entering the final hour 
So you better get aboard. You better do it now. 877-337-6666. And I guess uh, a final little wrap-up on, on my tip, trip to Tampa. Always, of course, a sports angle. A, we went to a Tampa Bay Lightning game, which was a fun time. And my cousin got Nikita Kucherov to sign his jersey. And Mikhail Sergachev to sign two pucks for his kids, which was very cool. And B, well, of course, I met Rob Gronkowski. But then, I guess, C then, uh, I was able to meet up with, uh, before going to that game, a very good friend of the show and his family, Buccaneers sideline reporter, TJ Reeves. So if you're a fan of the show, you know he's been on with me a few times over the years. And guess what? He brought his Bucks Super Bowl ring for all of us to try on. And it was a surprise I had set up for my cousin, and he absolutely lost his mind. I wasn't not going to try it on. So I'll send out a picture in a few minutes. If you want to take a look at me wearing the Tampa Bay Bucks Super Bowl 55 ring, which is issued to TJ Reeves, the team's radio sideline reporter. You know, I sat there looking at it spinning in the box with the lights shining on it, and I said, you know, I really wish this was a brand new Jets or Giants Super Bowl ring, but it's still cool, I guess. I mean, right? Pretty cool. How many Super Bowl rings have you tried on? <laughs> you know what I mean? All right, I'll send the picture out in a minute. All right, back to the phones. 877-337-6666. Seaford, Adam, you're up on the fan. Hey, Danielle. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I love the music selections. I love the Blink uh but the loss out of heaven means something special for me because the day after the Mets won the pennant in 2015, Joe and Evan played it for the Mets uh, because, you know, we hardly ever make the playoffs. So <laughs> that's something special for me. Yeah. Um, I also saw your map of the uh, stadiums yeah. on Instagram the other day, and I sent you, uh, I commented on uh, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. I had out with my buddy in 2019. Those are two good ones. Um, so now I've been to 11 stadiums. So that's, that's a fun thing. Drivable uh, like between that. the two of them? For sure? Yeah. Okay. It's a couple hours between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Definitely doable. Definitely doable. Um, In terms of stories, uh, guys who I met, I was at a spring training game. I think it was the Marlins. It was at Roger Dean Stadium in Jupiter. Oh, well, the site of all of this, huh? Yeah. So uh, (laughs) sometimes I get up and I walk around a little bit during the games, and uh, I walk right by Jason Williams, the old Nets power forward. Oh, get out. I'm like, like, hey, Jason, how's it going? He's like, he's nice. And, And I, you know, I just, that I appreciated him, you know, playing for the, the Jersey Nets all those years. And some guy comes up to me, he's like, who was that? I'm like, oh, it's Jason Williams, like, so matter-of-factly. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. You must have been a big Nets um, fan yeah. back in the day over the, the uh, IZOD Center. Yeah, exactly. Um, two questions for you tonight. Mm-hmm. I know, so as a, as a big Mets fan, I'm just concerned, and I know, like, you don't have a crystal ball, but do you see the lockout going for a while? Like, I have a concern because I think I do see it going on for a while. Mm, I, based on, you know, what I've seen, what I've consumed, read, listened to everything, they are so far apart on so many crucial and key issues. Yeah. I, I mean, I, either the players just fold uh, tomorrow night or Monday night even, uh, or, or they just dig in farther. I, I really think that the players hold the key to kind of all this. I really do. But I think it's going to be extensive. Uh, oh, no. I know. I've been staring out my window all winter waiting for baseball. <laughs> <laughs> but believe me, I was in Florida last week staring out the window waiting for baseball. I had literally had my hands on the gates like, let me in. And uh, nothing. There was no sound coming from that place at all. Not No human being was even on the property. Yeah. 
All right, that was vague question one. Vague question number two is how far do you see the Nets getting in the playoffs? I guess maybe there's some some variables here, but uh, just wanted to get your opinion on that. Too. I know, Adam. I don't know because, like you said, there are a lot of variables. I mean, are, are the Nets going to be? First of all, the biggest variable is, will the vaccine thing be lifted? Will Kyrie Irving be able to play at home? That's the first variable. <laughs> Number two, if if not, then where will they be playing? Will they be playing in Toronto and he won't be able to play in the series at all? That's a potential. So that that's huge. Then you look at um, like a guy like Kevin Durant. I mean, when is he going to be even back? I, I, it's hard to say, honestly, because it's it's hard. It's really it's hard to say. Are they going to get matched up with with a team that's just going to wipe the floor with them, or are they going to be matched up with somebody that's you know equal to them and and where they are right now? So, and and, and is Ben Simmons going to be coming back? There, there's so many questions for the Nets. No update on Joe Harris either. At, by the way, um, how do I how far do I see them going? Uh it's hard. I, I would say second round exit. If I had to make a guess right now. All right. Hate to be the bearer All of bad right. news for you tonight on both fronts there, but <laughs> I like to keep it real. I like your, I like your honesty. Yeah, I, I like, like to keep it real. I don't like it to sugarcoat anything. People people appreciate that. All right. Thanks for everything. Yeah. I'll keep following and watching on Insta. Keep posting those pictures. I love them. Ah, thanks, Adam. I, well, I'm about to post another one of me in the, uh, the Super Bowl ring for Super Bowl 55. Uh, yeah, so, so any stories that you have where you met a player out at a game, not the player playing in the game, though, if that makes sense. Or any just any players kind of out in the wild, so to speak. I remember when we were little, we were, I mean, they were still in the New Jersey Nets, and we went to dinner, as we usually did at the Outback in, in Edgewater. And I was kind of just oblivious, and I kind of just walked in the front door, and we got inside to, like, the... Uh, Hostess stand, my dad said to me and my brother, he's like, did you see who's sitting outside? We were like, no. He goes, what? That was Kenyon Martin. Kenyon, no, not Kenyon Martin, I'm sorry, That Vince Carter. Vince Carter was sitting outside the Outback in Edgewater waiting for his table. So we actually ended up kind of being seated at the same time. We actually uh, went through the meal pretty much at the same time and – you know, you didn't want to bother him at his table, but in the parking lot on the way out, literally it was just him and his buddies, I guess, and me, my mom, my dad, and my brother, four of us. And I had my, my, I went everywhere with it before even iPhones. I mean, that's how old we're talking. I went everywhere with my little green digital camera, actual digital camera. And I made my dad, we went all the way to Jersey City because I needed the green one. So he brought, he brought me there. Anyway, so. I had I had it with me in my little coach bag. I had it with me. And I in the parking lot, I and I didn't know how to do selfies at that time with with a digital camera, you know how hard that is? But I asked him just, just for a picture, not not no autograph, no nothing, just a quick picture, and he said, No pictures, no pictures, no pictures, Vince Carter. So and that was not a great story there. I know. We left the outback a little bit disappointed that night, not by the meal, but by the company. And by the way, the uh, if you're an Islander fan and you don't want to know the score, close your ears. They just lost. Just now, they just dropped a, a game to the, the L.A. Kings. 5-2 was the final score. 5-2. The Islanders lost to the L.A. Kings. 
Um, and then there was the other story of, of again, the New Jersey Nets. My dad, I, I, I said this one recently, but my dad went out to, I guess, was it an A and P? I think it was an A and P in in uh, in Closter, Closter, New Jersey, and he he just had to run out for some things, and he asked, "Hey, you guys want to come?" And we were like, "No, food shopping, ew, no." And my dad, uh, he ended up running into Kenyon Martin. That's why I got the stories mixed up. My dad ran into Kenyon Martin right there in the A and P. I guess I think it was an A and P in Closter, food shopping in Closter, New Jersey. Ran into Kenyon Martin, and he came home. He said to him, "My kids are gonna be so mad they didn't come." Then he came home and told his story. I didn't even believe him. Of course, no pictures, you know, taken at the time. But, um, but yeah. So uh, I guess the New Jersey Nets were were all up in our area of New Jersey, North Jersey. I just I wish that they still play their games at, at the Meadowlands. I, I'd go to a lot more more basketball games. I'll tell you that much. Let's go to Clark, New Jersey. Ken, you're up on the fan. Ken there you from, go, Ken. Ken from Clark, New Jersey. Hey, Ken. This is kind of a bizarre two-part story about meeting an athlete at another game. Okay. My son's 14, and in the spring, I take him to Cooperstown. You know, we go through the museum. We're going through the stores, and we're Yankee fans. Mm -hmm. But he sees in the store a Seattle Mariners hat, and he really liked it. Okay. He liked the colors. He liked the compass that was on it. So I bought it for him. Mm-hmm. And then we go to another store, and we see, like, a, a autographed framed picture of Ken Griffey Jr. Mm-hmm. So he bought the Seattle hat, so I bought him that picture. Okay? Nine months later, we're at Super Bowl Twenty Nine. That's when the San Francisco 49ers beat the Chargers. Mm-hmm. After the game, we're walking through the stands to go to another exit. And we run into, are you ready for this? Ken Griffey Jr. sitting there with MC Hammer. What? What? Is that unbelievable? So your son is an actual Mariners fan? No, we're still Yankee fans. We've always been Yankee fans. But Hammer and Griffey Jr. could not have been any nicer. Really? He sat down with my son, took a picture with my son. It was just so cool. That. Is a very cool story. Sitting together, the two of them, huh? Yeah. Well, apparently they were at the game together because that was the game when Dion played for the Forty ers mm-hmm. and he caught the touchdown pass. And I think Griffey and Dion were tight. I, I don't. I'm not really sure uh, about that, but yeah, they they were sitting like in the regular stands after the game. I mean, all the crowd had left. And we were just walking through the stands, and we just bumped into them. That's so crazy. Was, See, these are such good stories. That's a great story. How old was your son at the time? 14. Wow. He must have been out of his mind. Yeah, he was a freshman in high school. <laughs> he must have lost his mind. <laughs> well, how unusual, though, that we just bought the the Seattle hat yeah. and the Ken Griffey picture nine months earlier. That's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Ken, good story. Appreciate it. All right. Love listening to you, Daniel. Take care. Thank you. Bye. That's a good story. I mean, these are like A-list people we're talking about here, everybody, right? All right, how about this one? Let's go to uh, Ken in Queens. You're up on the fan. Hi, Daniel. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Okay, uh, I have two stories, and then I just wanted to say something about the Jets after. Anyway, I I must have been about eight years old. I'm driving with my dad in Manhattan on Delancey, Houston Street in that area. Yeah. And we're in a red light, and all of a sudden, someone's crossing the street, 
And my father's name is Bill. So he goes, hey, Willie. And my father pulls over to the side. And it was the great Rocky Graciano, the world middleweight champion of the world. Wow. Side. Wow. And my father had grown up with him. And, you know, he goes, oh, Willie, how you doing? So my dad goes to me, you know who this is? Mm-hmm. And eight years old, I had no idea. He goes, this was the world middleweight champion of the world, Rocky Graciano. Yeah. And I probably couldn't appreciate it then as I can. And now, you know, as I've grown older, of course. Yeah. But anyway, that was my first story. My second story is, I don't know if you're familiar, I was in the Long Island Shopping Center in Roosevelt, okay? And we were in Macy's, me and my daughter, who I told you is also named Danielle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, I see this guy. I look him at, I'm looking at him, and I'm saying, wait, if I'm not mistaken, this is Greg Jeffries. So I walked over to him with my daughter. My daughter really didn't know too much about baseball. I forget how old she was at that time. Anyway, I go, Mr. Jeffries, may my daughter have you? I didn't even say, can I? I go, can my <laughs> yeah. daughter have your autograph? He yeah. goes, sure. I had a big smile, put, uh, signed his name, gave it to my daughter. I said, thank you so much. Good luck with the Mets. And unfortunately, he didn't pan out as great as we thought he was going to be at that time. Mm-hmm. And I never saved the autograph. <laughs> Oh, man, that stinks. You got to keep it. As far as my jet point, you know, I was reading today that uh, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who's pretty close with Joe Douglas from his days with the Ravens Mm -hmm. scouting uh, friend there, partner, saying that he thinks that the Jets should draft at number four that tackle from North Carolina State. I forget his name. Uh, He has like a really complicated long name he's uh he's a left or right tackle but he could play guard right now for a year and then maybe next year if they don't resign Fant or if Beckett becomes a bust mm-hmm. his natural position is left tackle hmm. I forget his name he's Nehima Nikoda it's Ekwanu yeah 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 but he said it with him, Tucker, the Jets next year would probably have the two young best guards in all of football because this guy is as tough as nails, this mm. kid, you know, uh, who Jeremiah really loves. So usually he comes up with someone he loves and usually passes the word to yeah. Mr. Douglas because they're still very close, you know? I would almost wonder to think if if he would be there not at four but at a later pick because I think the Jets need yeah. an edge rusher like like yeah, nobody's yeah, business. Yeah, yeah, that guy Thibodeau, whatever his name is. Yeah, uh, Thibodeau, whatever. There, I think they would want to select him. That's who I like, really. You know, for them to select and maybe number eleven. I don't know. They're talking about wide receiver, but I, I would still go defense. You know. Yeah, I, I. You know what, Ken? That's a good. That's a good question. It's a good. Uh, you know, thinking ahead, right? Skipping right over baseball, thinking ahead right to football. So I'll be honest, I haven't really done my draft homework just yet because I'm really doing a lot of homework on this keeping up with the basketball thing. Um, and it's it's a little early anyway, uh, but it's always good to put some names up there. So I just, uh, I don't know. I got to look at his comps and I got to look at his um, his scouting report to get a better idea. So hopefully uh, around draft time, I hope you give me a call back on that because I'm um, a really solidified offensive line is very attractive for a young quarterback. However, I'm wondering 
if that player at that position would be there just a few slots down where the Jets get to, guess what, pick again. Let's go to David in Little Falls. You're up on the fan. Hello, Danielle. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, I got an old-time story. Um, I grew up in Edison, New Jersey, mm-hmm. and then once a year, the Pines Manor would uh, invite any uh, professional players that grew up in that area, and they would have banquets in honor of them. And I'd go down as an autograph hound. I, I, I lived right down the street in Iowa Road there. And uh, we hung out for a while. In fact, my older brother's visiting right now through the past, but we uh, Drew Pearson came out real late. He grew up in that area as an athlete for the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, you know, he was in a nice talk. It was a banquet stuff and all that. And he played one play with us. Uh, we had the football there. And uh, he's, I got to cover him. My brother was a quarterback, and the play was down and out. I went he, – he burned me. So I was a good athlete, 12, 13 probably at the time. I can't remember exactly. I thought I could cover him, though, and I was pretty good. He burned – he dress shoes. He burned me with his head <laughs> fake. He did uh, – arms pumping. I, I bit like – Oh, he was—he ran so fast. I remember that. It was—I was amazed at his speed. And he went. My brother threw him the bomb. He burned me, and it was a great moment, you know, just to do that. And uh, yeah, so that was my memory. That—that—that uh, that, that was a great experience for. You know what? I always say, David, and 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 when the Olympics come around, and we're sitting there eating our potato chips on the couch, like, oh, you suck, like you. I always want to put like a regular person in these things, and that just kind of put that in perspective, like just getting juked out of your shoes. You know what I mean? It just by, by, you know, you're watching these guys, you're like, oh, Jamal Adams, he sucks, or Buster Screen, he's horrible. Yeah, but he's actually, you know, pretty good. You know what I mean? Against, like, a regular normal person. So it's, it's I would have I would love to get that experience. I, I've never had that experience. I've had an experience where I had a teammate, and his name was, was Odell Beckham Jr., and he was quite impressed with my, my throwing arm, by the way. But uh, he and he was he was actually surprised. He was like, "Whoa!" I was like, "Uh huh." Sign me up. Take me with you, please. Wherever you're going. But um, yeah, and this whole started uh, basically talking about players that we met at other games. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of how we went down this rabbit hole. And you know what? It seems like a pretty good topic. <laughs> I think you guys like this one. So. Uh, Let's do this. We'll, uh, we will take a short break. Got to pay the bills around here, everybody. Take a short break, and we'll come back with your stories of where you met an athlete of another team at, at another game, if that makes sense. Okay? All right, so give me a call, 877-337-6666. Hey, welcome back to McCartan After Midnight here on The Fan in New York City. We are uh, on a Saturday, or I guess a Sunday morning now, where the players have threatened or had threatened to walk out, go take their ball, and go home. And uh, apparently they they were like, you know what? Actually, we'll go back to the table on uh, Sunday at 1 p.m. And I'll be with you from 5 to 8 tomorrow, so we can break that down as well, the newest developments. Uh, but based on everything I've consumed, it doesn't look good for the regular season to start on time. Just my opinion, uh, my informed opinion. And listen, I'd be happy as a pig and you know what, if they come to an agreement tomorrow night or even Monday morning. But I don't know about that. They are just too far apart on so many issues. And they are like backdooring each other with different policies. And it's just ugly. It's just really ugly. It's not good for the sport. We were also talking about 
athletes that, because I, I ran into Rob Gronkowski at the Tempe Lightning game this past week. I was in Florida. And um, we were talking about athletes that we've met at other things. So with that being said, to the phones we go. 877-337-6666 in the order that you called, of course. Wow, we're full. Wow. Okay, if you can't get through, you can tweet me at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N or uh, Instagram at Coach McCartan and then Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan as well. Okay, so let's go to Douglas in the Bronx. You are up next on The Fan. Good evening, Danielle. What's or up, Douglas? Might I call you, or might I call you Nostradamus? <laughs> Why is that? Hmm, let's see. Uh, <laughs> for the past four weeks, you've been proclaiming a certain friend of yours might win a particular show. And last Wednesday, it happened. It happened. Misha Tate won Big Brother. Yeah. My goodness. Told you. What, you. what would you say in your class? Congratulazione? Yeah, or auguri. It's probably easier. Oh, yes, yes. And, and you've, you've communicated with her since, right? Uh, yeah, I texted her real quick. She answered. Um, but she... I didn't know that, that probably that first night, she didn't have her phone the whole first night. So... 6.30 a.m. West Coast time. I got a text from her uh, the next morning. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to give you a couple stats for that, and then I'll get to my sports notes. Um, so in the history of Big Brother, before 2016, when it was a man versus a woman in the final two, the man always won. Wow. And before 2016, the first person that became in power would get voted off early. Mm-hmm. But since 2016, uh, a man versus woman has happened six times. Five of those times, the woman has won, including the last three celebrity seasons. Of course, Misha Tate included. Mm-hmm. And since 2016, six times the first person in power made it to the final two. Four of them have won, including your friend. So, just some stats for you there. And she is... Forever a Big Brother champion. Wow. I, I, I know you've said it every weekend, but it's, I'm pinching myself. I Unbelievable. Uh, but we believe it. I believe it. <laughs> she dominated the competition. Absolutely there. did. That's, that's her. That's her. Yeah. So one quick story about meeting a personality at a sporting event. Did not run into another athlete, but back in 1995, my dad took me to a Knicks game at the Garden. Around this time, they played the Heat. Six feet away from me, Madonna. Wow. Yeah, she was the front row. She was sitting right by the, where the road team would, by where Miami would sit mm-hmm. on the court. And she liked to slouch a lot. She's not a, uh, <laughs> she doesn't cross her legs while sitting down, that's for sure. And I was distracted. <laughs> you know, I was a teenager at the time, so... Uh, Yes, I the, the basketball was my focus, but uh, it was Madonna. Yeah, so anyways, couldn't get a chance to run into her, but that was the closest I came to uh, another celebrity of an, another persuasion. Yeah, yeah. Cool story there, Douglas. <laughs> okay, so now this week, um, of course, baseball, not the only sports and money story uh, in the news. What's your take with the settlement of the women's soccer because I'm conflicted. Mm-hmm. So I saw Megan Rapino. Mm-hmm. She went on all the press rounds proclaiming that this is a big win for women's soccer. But then Hope Solo mm-hmm. disputed that. And, and she made some good points, too, 
Uh, what do you think? Which side? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what's your take on all of that? Yeah, Douglas, we'll go more into this uh, in, in more detail tomorrow, but I, I am just as conflicted. Um, I guess for me, what it turns into is well, one, they didn't get a single dollar amount yet because uh, they have to ratify the CBA. That has not been ratified. They, they will not see a single dollar until that happens, if it happens. Uh, and then two, I hope Solo kind of had the same school of thought as I did on this, to be honest with you. And I, I think about it this way. The original lawsuit was for $66.7 million. They got $22 million. That's what I'll say about that tonight. I, I'm, I am, uh, I'm a little bit conflicted based on the short term versus the long term of this. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see until that CBA comes out. And they're expecting by March 1st. That, that is the, the U.S. women's national team and, uh, and U.S. soccer, that is. Not baseball. Don't get that mixed up, everybody. Okay, we'll go, go to Manhattan, right here in Manhattan. John, you're up on the fan. Hi, Danielle. What's Can up, I John? You yes, you're here. Hi. So here's a story uh, from ancient history, from, from the mid-1950s. Okay. Uh, my brother and I are about 9, 10 years old. Our grandmother lives in St. Petersburg, and our parents uh, take us down there one spring uh, to visit her. And at the time, the Cardinals and the Yankees uh, both trained in in St. Petersburg. So one day my parents had something they had to do, and uh, they took me and my brother with them, and they dropped us off in the in the lobby of a motel down the beach. And the, the lobby was a kind of an open courtyard, palm trees and stuff. And so we're sitting around there waiting for our parents to come back and pick us up. And some guy comes down the stairs into the courtyard, and um, he says, uh, "Hi kids, what's up?" And uh, we said, "Well, we're waiting for our parents." And he said, "Well, I, I got to wait. I got to kill some time too." He said, "You want to play tag?" I was like, well, uh, I don't know. And then before any, either my brother or I could react, it's like he, he tagged one of us and said, tag, you're it. And for 10 minutes, we spent 10 minutes running around with him hiding behind palm trees and us ducking in and out of foliage. And then another guy came into the to the courtyard and said, uh, hey, we got to go. And this guy said, okay, here I come. And he said, hey, listen, kids, thanks. That was great. And the, the two guys walked out and the, the desk clerk leaned across the desk and he said, hey, kids, you know who that was? I said, no, who? He said, that was Stan Musial. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I was a huge baseball fan. And, uh, you know, um, um, I won't say I idolized Musial because I rooted for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Mm-hmm. But um, God knows I knew who he was. I just didn't recognize him. But, uh, you know, I've never forgotten it because he was a superstar with a little time to kill. And he killed it by, you know, identifying a couple of kids and playing with them. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a great moment. Yeah, that's a pretty cool story. Oh, man. How old were you at the time? I would say I was nine years old, eight or nine. And your brother was older or younger? Yeah, he was a year younger. He was a year older than nine. So you were a couple of kids. A couple of were baseball fans, like I said. But if you saw Stan Musial uh, out of uniform when you were eight years old, yeah. and you were watching baseball in New York, you weren't automatically going to recognize him. But right. as soon as I heard the name... You know, just I knew I'd had this thrilling experience. I wasn't going to forget. That's cool. That's, that's what a, a good guy. Yeah, that's a lifelong memory there, that's John. The, that's the anti-Vince Carter story. Yeah, exactly. Vince Carter was not great to us. Uh, we were a little bit older, too, but he was not great. But that's a great story. Stan Musial. Yeah. Good job, John. Good story. Let's go to, uh, is it Hobes? Hobes Sound, Florida? Peter, did I say that right? Hobes Sound? Uh, yes, you did. Uh, Hobes Sound, Florida. All right. Tell us, wh- which player did you meet and where? Okay, it's, it's, it's not totally on base with your question, but it's a very cute story. Okay. So this had to be 
I say July of 94, July of 95, my daughter Julia was like one years old. And uh, we scored, uh, me and my wife scored tickets uh, to the Yankee Suite. And we've never been, you know, that luxury situation before. So we're watching the game. It's a sweltering July day. And around the seventh inning or so, we decide to leave. So it's like a hotel lobby. We walk into the uh, into the elevator. Mm-hmm. Our heads are down. We're all clammy and sweaty. Mm-hmm. And this is what we hear. Holy cow, what a beautiful baby. Phil Rizzuto. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so well, look, I'm like in shock. And he's standing there with a little boy, and this boy must have nine boxes of pastries. In those days, for Rizzuto, loved cannolis. <laughs> so the fans would send them boxes of cannolis. So we get down to the lobby, and not like I'm starstruck, lifelong Yankee fans. I say, Phil, can I have your autograph? And he says, sure. He says, what's her name? And that's all he said. What's her name? I said, Julia. And he uh, gave him a piece of paper, and on the paper he writes, to Julia, holy cow for Rizzuto. <laughs> You still have we it? And we, uh, uh, yes, and we proceeded to walk him. In those days, uh, if you had tickets to the luxury suite, you also had parking passes to the player's parking lot, right. unheard of today. So we literally walked Phil and his grandson uh, through the parking lot to his car door and helped him in with the pastries and he said goodbye, Pete. In those days, he headed out the seventh inning because he couldn't stand the traffic going back to New Jersey. Yeah. And there's a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, so the, the cute story. Yeah, that, you and, know what? That's a good story. And the funny part is that, you know, just what's her name? Julia. To Julia Holy Cow for Rizzuto. Yeah, I like that. It's part yeah. of the whole story, the whole thing. I like that. Good story yeah. there, Peter. Okay, take care. You too. And who doesn't love cannoli? I mean, my favorite, just in case anybody's listening, my favorite are the ones that have the chocolate casing, you know, the chocolate shell. With, obviously, the cannoli cream with the chocolate chips inside. That's my favorite. That's my order. Uh, to Queens, Daniel, you're up on the fan. Hey, how you doing, Daniel? Good. How are you, Daniel? Excellent. So I have a, I'm have going to fire a couple off because I definitely haven't met another player from another team in a game. But when I was young, I played hockey. I played actually skated with Clark Gillies, Bobby Nystrom, um, and Mike Bossy. That was unbelievable. Wow. As I sit here in the Boomer and Geo studio looking at the Clark Gillies jersey that's, that's hanging on the wall here. Uh, cool. Enough respect to him. Rest in peace. Yeah. Um, then also, uh, Terry Collins used to be a regular customer of mine. He would like go around and give customers cheese and pepper and buy people drinks. And like really, he was awesome, dude. And then um, there was a big one I had to say while I was waiting on hold to talk to you about. Oh, Kurt Thomas is the big one. Mm. So I was at Nobu, and I'm very picky about where I sit, and they told me I couldn't sit at the table because it was waiting for somebody famous to come in. Mm. So I was peeved. Yeah, can you believe it? So I was peeved. <laughs> next thing you know, they sit Kurt Thomas next to me. So I say to Kurt Thomas, this was when he was going through the whole thing. with I think he was cheating on his wife and his girlfriend. He was all on the news. He was really stressed out. And he sat down next to me. I said, what? I'm so surprised they didn't put you with that nice seat. He was pissed off, too. And I was like, what, you're not famous enough to get the seat? (laughs) So he ended up talking to me and my girlfriend at the time, the whole time, and bought me and my girlfriend dinner. Wow. Go next. Well, well, now you got me curious. Who sat at the other table? Nobody sat there the whole time. No way. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's crazy. That. Maybe it's just crazy. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. Did did you just get not that chair? Or they didn't want you to sit in there, or they someone didn't show? I wonder. I think they save it 
someone, no, I think they're, you know, they're tacky sometimes. Some places are uh, petty. Um, but then, and then tonight, my last thing, just because it's fresh in my mind. Sure. So I met a lot of famous people. A lot of, I'm in the restaurant business, but I met William H. Macy tonight. Got nothing to do with tonight? sports. Yeah, he was amazing. What? What a guy. <laughs> yeah, what a guy. What? He was so amazing. Really blew my mind. Just humble and sweet and nice. Um, so I'm not going to sell my restaurant, but I will tell you, Edgewater, the best steakhouse, Danielle, you come by. You ask for Daniel. I won't say the restaurant. You know what it is. Guess what? We've I'll been there. My that. brother took us there. He got a, he got a, a a promotion, and we went maybe two weeks ago. I mean, two months ago, maybe we were there. You gotta always ask for Daniel. I'll take good care of you. All right. Well, you you're on, okay. Daniel. You're the best. So <laughs> nice to have you on, man. I miss Steve, but you're you're the best. Next thing. Ah, uh, thanks, Daniel. I you're appreciate awesome. that. All right. You're my best. All right. So we've got uh we've got standing reservations for for. Can't wait to see you. Daniel. I take care of Bart Scott, too, a lot, too. He's a really sweet guy. Uh, you know what? Let me tell you something. So I, I I don't go to many, like, real expensive steakhouses, but I would say that place in Edgewater, second best steak I ever had in my whole entire life. Second best. I hate It's second, but it's I good. Feel, it's good. I feel the same way. I was saying the first best the other day, and the owner walked by, and I couldn't pull it back in my no. mouth. He just heard me say it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, no, but it, it was good. I mean, we had a good dinner that night, and wait, the, everything, everything was great. That the wait staff was excellent, helpful, and everything. So, next time we're there, yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll ask for you. I'm looking forward to it. You'll be good. All right, you too. Thank you. Oh man, yeah, my brother got a pr- big promotion at work, and um, that's what we do. Like when we get something like we big big lump of money, whether that be my coaching check or whatever, um, we take the family out to dinner and my brother got a big promotion and he's like, we always, we drive past it all the time. We want to go, we want to go, we want to go. And uh, he took us and it was a great experience. And, but my second best steak of all time, the best steak I ever had. <laughs> this sounds, sounds a little, but me and my cousin went to the VMAs in LA and we had time to kill. So we went to the Grove, which is like an outdoor shopping center out there in LA, and it, I don't even know the name of the steakhouse, but we had st- steak for lunch, and it was the best steak I ever had. I don't know the name of it. I think it's still there. It had a red awning. We sat outside. People watched. That was the best steak I ever had. Second best, though, that place in Edgewater for sure. And then third was a steakhouse in uh, Planet Hollywood in Vegas. I think it was called Strip Steak. Also very good. <laughs> uh, we got some, uh, some tweets coming in. This is Bobby... Uh, at Bobby Brooklyn 7, he said he met Curtis Martin at Roosevelt Field, I guess mall, right? I'm not from Long Island, but I'm pretty sure that's how that goes. He said, felt kind of bad because no one noticed him till I went up to him, and 30 seconds later, he had a crowd around him. He was just shopping, but was super nice to me, and I wanted to tell him how big a fan I was. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. Curtis Martin out and about. And then I've got one from at Walt Ness 3, and he says... It was not at a game, but I played golf with Yogi Berra and Phil Rizzuto at a March of Dimes charity outing in Sta- or Sta- at La Tourette. I think that's how you say it. Sorry if I said that wrong, but on Staten Island. So at that tournament, former quarterback Mark Malone and run- former running back Billy Taylor invited me to join a speaker's bureau. Well, that's cool. Good story there. And then he, oh, he's got another one. As a kid, I met Whitey Ford at a Ford dealership. Ford at a Ford dealership. In Astoria, Queens, he was impressed that I knew who he was and signed cards for me. My dad was buying an F-150, and just and I just said, he said, what a nice man. Who is he? 
He said I was dumbfounded and looked like my dad, like he was crazy. <laughs> Funny. Good one. Good one. Hey, you know, there's uh, there's some trouble in paradise brewing for Patrick Mahomes, who was uh, photographed in Sin City Friday night. Real quick hit on that. Right back to your last round of calls here on The Fan before Pete Hoffman comes your way at 2. Oh, well, this is The Weekend on The Weekend. I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartan after midnight here on The Fan for the final segment of this short show. Cut extra short by the Brooklyn Nets. And the Milwaukee Bucks. The Nets won a thriller. I mean, what's his name? Giannis Antetokounmpo had a look, had the shot, and it it was close. He had a great look, and it it was close. But the Nets pulled it off. And uh, Kyrie Irving, man, what are the Nets going to do without Kyrie Irving over these next two games? Where is their offense going to come from? Because it's not going to be coming from Kevin Durant, Alex Schiffer. Friend of the show from The Athletic covers the Nets. He said that Nash said that Kevin Durant will not be available uh, for these next uh, two games, at least. And yikes. No Irving. No Durant. Oh, boy. And also some trouble in paradise is brewing for Patrick Mahomes. You know, if you saw this is like TMZ news, but it, it just it caught my attention. And it just I hate I don't want to say hate. But I very strongly dislike his brother and now his his, his fiance or wife. I, yeah, fiance. She's getting up there too. So did you see there was a courtside argument between him and the fiance? It went literally viral. Millions of people watched it. And it's not the first video that has an annoyed Patrick Mahomes uh, with her and or the brother. And then a subsequent series of tweets went viral too. So former NFL player. And current sports talk radio host Rich Ornberger tweeted that he's been told that Mahomes has asked his fiance and brother not to attend any games next season because they've become a distraction. I believe that. Mahomes responded, Y'all just me making stuff up these days with three laughing faces. And now he's with his boys in Vegas, my second city, at his bachelor party. You know, that new hotel, Resorts World, laid out the red carpet for them, clearly. And anyway, who cares? I would ban the fiancé and the brother, too. They are so ridiculous. They are such a distraction. Jackson Mahomes and those stupid TikTok videos, I just I just want to smack him. I just want to smack him. Like, what are you doing? Dancing on the, the retired numbers. What was it? Fred Taylor's number, I think, in Washington. Literally doing a TikTok dance? Like, what is wrong with you? It's roped off. And 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 then he had on a jacket. Oh, at the Super Bowl? No, it wasn't the Super Bowl. No, it was this year, so it couldn't be the Super Bowl. But he he was uh he was wearing a jacket at one of the, the major playoff games and it said something Mahomes. And it was spelled wrong. There was no O or something. Right where the snap was. It was like a varsity jacket looking thing. It was spelled wrong. I mean Oh, he is just so annoying that that if I were Patrick Mahomes, who seems like he's a pretty good guy, pretty, you know, straight lace and all that, I'd ban him too. They're so annoying with the social media. It's just ridiculous. And, and one more thing, the players maybe did or, or almost did throw their hands up and said, hey, uh, we are not coming to the table. We We give up. And then I guess they were... Talk back into uh, into ha- 
having the meeting, sitting at the meeting, meeting number seven in seven consecutive days, set for 1 p.m. tomorrow. Hopefully, they can figure out this tanking and this playoff scenario, this postseason scenario. The owners want 14 games. The players want 12. Really, that, that's what they're arguing over. And uh, and the other thing was about the, uh, the draft compensation for teams that quote-unquote tank the Owners proposed four the, the four top four seeds go to like a lottery system, and the players uh, originally wanted seven. Set the the top seven seeds go to the teams that are um, in a tanking scenario, and you know there's there's other things there, there's many other things smaller things that go along with that, but that's kind of the main idea. And I mean that doesn't sound so hard to figure out to me, right? I don't think so. For a, team, for a sport that never even had a lottery and to now introduce one of the most aggressive ones? I mean, come on. Let's get a move on here. So I would be I would be happy if they resolved that tomorrow. Do you see where I'm going with this? I do not think that this season will start on time. That's where I'm going with this. This regular season will start on time. Anyway, what do you think? 877-337-6666. Your last chance to get aboard here. McCartan After Midnight. Pete Hoffman coming your way in about 10 minutes or so. To Whitestone we go. And Eddie, you're up on the fan. Hey, good evening. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? All right. Uh, so I got a great story about Yogi Berra and my son. Uh, if you just give me 30 seconds yeah, to yeah. explain before we get to the punchline. Okay. So I'm in the I'm in the art field. And uh, a bunch of years ago, when my son, he's now 19 at St. John's, he's he was uh, 67 years old. We um, have a, I have a friend that's in the design field, and he's an airbrush artist. He does a lot of great stuff for the Islanders, the, the Yankees, the Derrida thing, all this fun stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, he invited us to a, 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 um, a design, like a thing for kids, like where they would paint and stuff like that. It was, at, it was a clinic. Okay. And it was at the Yogi Berra Museum in Montclair. Uh, great so, place, by the way. Oh, awesome place! I, I recommend everyone go there. Yep. It's, it's and and what's even better for me is it was a bunch of years ago. Sorry about that. It was a bunch of years ago, and um, um, I met we met we met Yogi and his wife there. And mm-hmm. my son, my friend, my friend that runs the the clinic, his name is Tony Caparelli. Mm-hmm. He 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 has the kids draw and stuff like that. It's like a, an art thing for the kids. So they ended up drawing the devils. A mascot and Yogi and his wife came over and liked it so much that they wanted to put it up in the museum. And I said to my son Matt, "I said Matt, give it to them, give it to them." And he was—he started. He didn't want to give it to them. He liked it, <laughs> so he started crying. Oh he no! You wouldn't give it to Yogi. And I'm like, oh my! I was so embarrassed. Said, Matt, please give it to him. And he, I was trying to take it out of his hand, and he wouldn't take it. Out. He wouldn't give it to me. So Yogi's like, oh, don't worry about, it. don't worry about it. He's like, everything is good. And they, oh, we all got to laugh at it. But the best part about it is that I got a great picture of my son with Yogi. With Yogi's hand on top of my son's head, and it was it was unbelievable. I have it in my office, huge picture, and it's a memory that I'll always remember. And I tell all my friends about it when they come into my house and to my office. But that's what I wanted to say. And I, I want to also say that I enjoy your show, and you guys keep me going. I'm working overnights, and I love listening to WFAN. And, and thank you so much for the time. Hey, Daddy, thanks for the call there. Good story. I had a Yogi Bear story. I was, we were, I was. I keep saying we, I, me. I went to my Italian-American conference that I go to every year, and they were honoring Yogi Berra, so it wasn't like it was a surprise or anything, but 
this is like your, this, I was in college still, and I brought a baseball with me, and I had this, you know, it was a black tie thing, so I had I had this little baby, stupid little pocketbook thing. It could fit just my phone in it. My friend had a bigger bag, and I said, "Hey, can you just put the ball in the bag, um, just so it's not out on the table, you know?" And then when it was over, we kind of got a little separated, and she was already out the door, and I stopped, and there was Yogi Bear right there. And she had my ball in her bag, and I was like, oh, oh. But anyway, I stopped anyway, you know, and um, and there was no cell phone service to even call her because it was like, it was at the the Hilton. Um, it was at the, the the Washington Hilton, and it was like kind of below ground in a way, no cell phone service. So anyway, um, I, I, I stopped him, and I, he was so cute. He had a, a New York Yankees tie on with little baseballs and little Yankee logos on it. And uh, the, his wife was like, Yogi, uh, basically she was saying, like, it's time for bed. Let's go. So he took a quick picture with me and a, a couple other uh, of us, uh, you know, college kids. And uh, that was cool. And I never got the, the ball signed by Yogi Berra. And I, we, I was like, Angelina, you had my ball. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then by that time he was gone. But so what I ended up doing was I ended up buying one because I, I don't really buy things, but that. I don't really buy autographs, but that one I felt like I had to. Felt like I had to buy that one. And I was right. Uh, let's see. Let's see. I'm going through some tweets here. At Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Trying to think. Um, some other players. Nick, have you ever met a player that was that was either out in the wild, so to speak, or, or at another game for another something? Uh, not for at a game at in that scenario but yeah i met uh we used to go to baltimore every year with me and my uncle and my cousins and we would always stay at the same hotel as the yankees so there's been a few situations where we would go there and you know we run into players and stuff um we found out like what floor the players were on (laughs) yeah so we would always you know go on the elevator and uh we met a few of them on the elevator uh i remember one of my cousins um said that they were right with Derek Jeter, and then they saw him get off the floor, and then uh, he, <laughs> I, I don't know, uh, and they claimed to have say um, that they saw him like walk into a hotel room with some girl. Oh, but no idea who this was. Oh, uh, well, that's hearsay not, at this not, point. Nothing scandalous there, but uh, <laughs> that's what uh, one of my cousins told me. Did you ever see any? Uh, yeah, at, um, at Willie Randolph, we saw outside. He didn't really want to give us an autograph, but he, he was nice, I guess. Aside from that, <laughs> aside from not wanting to give us an autograph, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Seen a few players over there. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think what else. That's a good story, but but you kind of cheated though, because you're staying in the hotel where they are. Yeah, it, it was pretty <laughs> easy, but uh, it was still fun. And we saw John Starling, yeah, and uh, um, like the hotel area, so he, it was pretty cool. And now, now you work with him. Well, I haven't. Well, we work at the same station, <laughs> yeah. still. Never met him. He doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know I exist. So yeah, <laughs> we're not there yet. But, Me either. Uh, we still work at the same station, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I'm trying to think. I I I'm trying to think. Anybody else? You know, what I'm dying for. I'm dying for Misha Tate to actually ask me and, and invite me to like an actual like real big time fight. And I just want to see. You gotta ask her. Aren't you guys close enough by now? Yeah, but she's having a. I, I asked her for for tickets to this upcoming fight, but it's at the Apex Center. It's a small thing. It's like family and friends and like a few other people. It's not a big thing. I'm waiting for the big fight. You know, the big one. Oh, well, as soon as you know which one you gotta go, you gotta take Hoff too because he's a big. Uh, 
Yeah. MMA guy. So. I know. We went. Is he here yet? We went. He's to, here. Yeah. yeah, we went to the last one that was at the garden. That was that was pretty fun. And and guess who was there? We didn't meet him or anything. Carlos Correa was there. Nice. Yeah, but we didn't get to meet him or anything. Well, I'm not a big fan of him being a Yankee fan. Though. Well, you know what? <laughs> and <laughs> you know, don't really want him to come to the Yankees. No, me neither. Yeah. Forget about it. No Carlos Correa to the Yankees. No Carlos Correa to the Mets. There's no need for him. And all that, that exorbitant amount of money he's he's going to be demanding. Forget about it. And uh, especially since if the Yankees want to go ahead and sign Aaron Judge long term, they got to leave some room. Yeah, him and Judge don't exactly get along. And so, that too. Yeah. <laughs> There's that too. You know, a little thing that deals with the, uh, you know, a little thing called garbage cans, trash cans, stealing World Series. You know, yeah, and stuff MVPs. Like that. Yeah. I know it wasn't him, but it was Altuve. But yep. that probably wouldn't Same go over too well. So, yeah. yeah, if I were him, I wouldn't want to come to the Yankees because of Aaron Judge. Yep. <laughs> I I mean, he's a good player and everything, but I think uh, the Yankees have a really good option. Moving forward with uh, some young shorts up that they have, uh, Anthony Volpe being that guy, and on some other prospects that we didn't get to talk about tonight was uh, was Jason Dominguez. So maybe we could save that for tomorrow. I will be back tomorrow from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Hopefully, with some good news that there's been some movement in this bargaining between the uh, players' association and the owners. So thanks to all the callers tonight. Could not have done this without you, this two-hour show. I love coming here and talking with you. If you miss any portion of today's show, hit that Odyssey Rewind feature and select the start of the show, which was 11 p.m. Great job to Nick Theodoro tonight and Mike McCann on the updates. Again, I'll be back 5 to 8 p.m. tomorrow. In the meantime, hit my social media, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan as well. We'll keep the conversation going. And the Pete Hoffman, the Pete Hoffman, Coming up next, right here on The Fan in New York City. Sports Radio 101.9 FM. The Fan. WFAN.